Fantastic. Well, we are continuing our series on Jesus, getting to know Jesus better, which is great. So last week, um, I started out really like having a look at Jesus and his humanity. Um, But first of all, I want us to remind us about who Jesus is in his fully divine form as well. So we know Jesus as fully God, but also fully man. And as I said last week, because we are living 2,000 years after the resurrection, after the ascension, our perspective of Jesus is very much colored by the fully God part of who Jesus is. So that's why we're going to be spending a bit of time looking at Jesus fully man. So this is an amazing verse from John 1. Is that up? Yes. So when it says the word, it's actually talking about Jesus. So I'm going to substitute Jesus in there, okay? So this is Jesus' divine nature. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. Jesus was with God in the beginning, just in case you missed that. They're repeating it. Through Jesus, all things were made. So all of these qualities are God qualities, aren't they? Eternal qualities. Without Jesus, nothing was made that has been made. In Jesus was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. We know as Christians that Jesus is fully God. He was with God in the beginning. He created all things, and all life is sustained through Jesus. They are God qualities. But in Philippians, it explains, but Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus, God himself, being made into human likeness so that we could relate to God. Incredible. And when we saw Jesus made in human likeness as a man 2,000 years ago, walking around in Galilee and Nazareth, we discovered last week, didn't he, that actually he didn't have any prestige. He didn't have any natural power. He didn't have any natural advantages. In fact, he was disadvantaged. He came from a very poor, ordinary family. He came from a looked-down northern part of Nazareth, which was, yeah, which jokes were made about, ethnic jokes were made about his, where he came from. He spoke with a really broad northern accent with dodgy grammar. He looked like an ordinary guy. There was no spiritual kind of glow happening around him. He had no prestige. He had no head start. That's why it was such a shock. Do you remember when people that he grew up with, he started to his ministry and, in, and he said, and they were like, who is this person? Where does his power come from? Where is all his wisdom coming from? We can't equate this. This is doing our heads in. It just doesn't work. He's performing all these miracles. He's got all this wisdom, but we know him. He's just Joseph's son. We know his brothers and his sisters live here among us. What's happening? What's going on? There was this massive confusion because God in the flesh looked ordinary. <laughs> what a shock. 
So that was the shock. And we looked at all of that stuff last week. And if you didn't hear it, I'd encourage you to catch it up on, online. But this week, we're going to look at Jesus' emotions. So we kind of know what he looked like, what his race was, his family and all of that stuff. But we're gonna, now we're going to look at sort of his personality and his emotions. And how would the Bible describe that? How would Jesus have scored on personality tests? <laughs> I think that's a great, interesting question. What Myers-Briggs would he had? What strengths would he have had on StrengthsFinder? <laughs> um, but I read, I've been reading, to do this series, I've been reading Philip Yance's book, The Jesus I Never Knew, which is really, really great. And there's a quote in there um, that basically sort of says, potentially our view of Jesus' personality is based on sort of a Hollywood-defined perspective of him. So he says, Jesus recites his lines evenly and without emotion. He strides through life as the one calm character among a cast of flustered extras. Nothing rattles him. He dispenses wisdom in flat, measured tones. In short, he is the Prozac Jesus. Which is kind of quite shocking, isn't it? And I think we can potentially have that image of Jesus, that he's just like totally sort of emotionless, that he's totally calm, he's totally under control, and he's just kind of oh, you people, like, don't worry, I've got this, you know, all of that. And that actually emotionless Jesus is actually a far cry from what we actually find in the Bible and how the Bible describes Jesus' personality and his emotions. Because actually, Jesus displays his emotions in sort of glorious technicolor. He's, he's vibrant, he's alive. If we dull down our emotions... It's gray. It's boring. Our emotions are kind of God-given. We see him publicly crying. He's publicly weeping with grief and sympathy. We see him upset and frustrated, raging at the Pharisees for their hypocrisy. We see him angry in the temple, clearing tables and chairs. We see him full of joy at the discipleship's, the disciples' success and spontaneously moved with compassion. And we kind of subconsciously might have put being unemotional with being spiritual kind of together. So when we are unemotional, we're self-controlled and we're more spiritual. That might be what we've kind of subconsciously concluded, but that's not the case at all. Because when we dull down our passion when we don't get angry about injustice the enemy loves that the enemy is winning when you don't feel true joy the enemy is winning when you aren't moved with compassion that's exactly what the enemy wants and not what God wants for you Jesus wants us to experience life in all of that in all of its fullness and that includes our emotions but he also wants to transform our hearts and minds so that the reason we feel things is aligned with his values and his kingdom purposes. And we're kind of going to look at what moved the heart of Jesus probably is quite different to what moves our hearts to feel those emotions. So let's have a look. Let's get into the New Testament. So... What's the one way Jesus chose to describe himself? He chose to describe himself as a person of joy, of exuberance, 
Is that how we think of Jesus? The first thing we think of Jesus in his personality. Joyful, exuberant. In Mark 2, it says, Now John's disciples and his Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, How is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours aren't? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he's still with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken, and that on that day they will fast. So of all of the images Jesus chooses for himself, he chooses one of a bridegroom. I don't know how many of blokes in here that are married. Pretty good day, huh? <laughs> Thanks, Matt. <laughs> I think the rest of you blokes weren't that sure. I think the wives should be doing a bit of nudging now. <laughs> Was that like one of your most joyful days ever? Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> You're going to get in trouble if you don't say that. <laughs> But yeah, how amazing, that sense of joy and exuberance that you feel on your wedding day, being surrounded by love, being surrounded by your family, feeling God's joy over your union. You know, that is the image that Jesus chooses for himself. And I believe that Jesus would have had this bubbling up joy, this celebratory attitude, an exuberance that would have just radiated out of him. That's why people gathered around him. He was amazing to be around. And he says this in John 15, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I've kept my father's commands and remain in his love. Listen to this. I have told you this so that my joy, so Jesus has loads of joy, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Jesus wants your joy to be complete, full whole, complete joy. And how do we get that joy? Where does it come from? Why is Jesus a person of such joy? Why should, why does he want us to feel such joy? It comes through obeying God and knowing God and also seeing his disciples do the things that he had taught them, which is now us. But the moment that Jesus has loads of joy is when He's sent his disciples out to do this mission trip. So he's been with them, discipling them, teaching them what to do. And then he sends them out on their own to do what he's been doing, like miracles and healings. And, and they come back and they report all their successes. They're like, yeah, it worked. It worked. We prayed for the sick and they got healed. And Jesus is full of joy because it's working. The church, the first sign of the church is working. People are knowing God and doing what he's taught them to do. And they're actually doing it and they're seeing it for themselves. And Jesus says... At the same time, Jesus was filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit. And he said, oh, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever, but revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. Jesus was filled with joy by seeing people grow in God. That was a source of his joy. How amazing. I mean, what do you think that looked like? Jesus was so filled with joy of the Holy Spirit that the people around him noted it down and wrote it. What do you think he was doing? Like, oh, yes, very good. Well done. Yes. Okay, excellent. I'm pleased. Good job. Probably not. It's probably like, come on. That's awesome. You guys are amazing. I'm so happy. Like, come on, God. Thank you, Jesus. He was probably expressed it quite 
loudly. Otherwise, people wouldn't have noticed, yeah? So is this a source of our joy, of knowing God, of obeying God, and seeing other people grow in God? I have to say, Calvin, when you said, thank you, God, for my church family, that brought a tear to my eye. <laughs> I had a moment of joy there, because that's amazing, just seeing you grow in God and seeing your journey. You know, that's great, isn't it? So Jesus was a man of joy and exuberance. He also had a good sense of humor. So there's kind of two examples in the New Testament where he kind of used analogies when he was teaching that would have been kind of really funny that like we maybe miss. So when he's talking about, um, you know, us not judging other people and he says, you know, it's like trying to remove a splinter out of somebody else's eye when you've got a log in your own. You know, that would have had people laughing. It's like, oh, how ridiculous to try and take out this tiny thing out of somebody else's eye, but actually you've got a massive log sticking out of your own. People would have been laughing about that. Or when he's sort of raging against the Pharisees and he uses the example of like, because he's basically trying to say to them, look, you're so caught up in all the detail of all the law and all the do's and the don'ts and everything, but you kind of miss the main things of God's character, which is mercy, compassion, and love. You're missing the big things. It's like straining out a gnat, but then swallowing a camel. Ha! (laughs) You know, people would have been laughing about that. You know, they're kind of funny analogies. He's he's doing it. He's using humor to teach, which is great. I like to think of Jesus having a good sense of humor. (laughs) He was charismatic and exciting. He had such charisma that people sat for three days without food just to hear him speak and to see the miracles that he was doing. Up when, um, just before he fed, fed the 4,000, it said, the people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking and the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me for three days and have had nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. So it wasn't just that they'd missed their breakfast. They'd been there for like three full days and hadn't eaten anything because they were so amazed at all the things that he, that he was teaching and the miracles that he was doing. He was exciting. This was exciting stuff. And it's kind of such a shame as Christians that we have sometimes have a reputation for being a bit dull and boring. When our saviour, the person we follow, the person we're meant to emulate, was the most exciting person ever to be around. Because stuff was happening. Amazing stuff was happening. You know, is our life in God exciting? Are we stepping out in faith? Are we taking risks? Are we praying for the healings of others? Are we speaking words of life and truth into people's lives and seeing things change and things move? Because that's exciting. Are we really following our Savior? Are we exciting to be around? Is our life in Christ exciting to be around? Because Jesus was certainly exciting and charismatic. He was also spontaneously, I quite like this because I'm a bit spontaneous, so I'm probably slightly biased towards this, but <laughs> but you know, he was spontaneously moved with compassion. Like he was just walking, like numerous times it said he's just walking along and suddenly he was filled with pity or he was moved with compassion. Like that moment of seeing a need, whether physical or spiritual, he just thinks he's moved with an emotion of compassion to do something about it. He said, like with the crowd there, that he was moved with compassion because they hadn't eaten for three days. And then another time with another crowd, he said, seeing the people, he had com- felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. And then there were two blind men at the gate who shouted out to be healed, who were quite persistent. 
us, we're over here, heal me, heal me. So Jesus had compassion on them, touched their eyes, and immediately they received their sight and followed him. Are we like this? Are we spontaneously moved to compassion and to action that we will interrupt what we're doing, where we're going? Jesus had stuff to do and places to be, but he listened to that emotion of compassion and responded to that and saw people's needs, physical and spiritual, and was moved with compassion. Is that what we are moved with compassion to? So we kind of know, right, Jesus was joyful. He was excited. He had a good sense of humor and compassionate. Sounds like a really great guy to be around, yeah? But he also flipping got angry. (laughs) And there was a definite edge. He wasn't a comfortable person. Like from that, you can sense, or maybe he's like this kind of comfortable party guy to be around. But no, he had an edge, a strong edge. He was a revolutionary. He was radical. He taught extremes that were hard to understand and get your head around. And he got upset and angry as well. So what did Jesus get upset by? Let's do what he got angry about first. Let's see what Jesus got angry about. So he doesn't hold back. Matthew 23, if you want to read that, (laughs) we can sterilize Jesus sometimes to make him comfortable and palatable. Read Matthew 23 seven times. He basically says to the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, he says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. I can't imagine he's saying that in a particularly calm voice. You know, he ends with, you snakes, you brood of vipers, how you escape being condemned to hell. He's hardcore, you know. He's not afraid to hold back. He's raging against against the injustice. He's raging because they are making it so difficult for people to come to God. They're putting in hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of laws and details and, oh, if you do this and you've got to wash your hands and then do this, 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 and all of these laws that were never meant to be there. They're forgetting the true knowing Jesus, which is knowing God, compassion, love, faithfulness. Those are the things that Jesus cared about. And he was raging against their obstacles they were putting in people's way to coming to know God. That's what got Jesus angry. And we see it again in the temple. He literally clears the temple. I mean, you kind of wonder, wow, was he just, it doesn't say his disciples were helping him. He just says he's on his own. <laughs> it's quite a big place like the temple. And he literally clears all the people out, clears all the tables, overturns the tables, overturns the chairs, gets a whip. I mean, this is anger. He is angry, righteous anger. Zeal for God's house consumes me, it says in Psalms. And it sounds like he just kind of does it on his own. So the force of that, the force of his anger, the force of his personality cleared that whole space. And nobody stopped him. Because they were like, yo. (laughs) You know, that's a force, isn't it, to be reckoned with. And what was making him so angry? He says, the scriptures declare my temple will be a house of prayer. But you've turned it into a den of thieves. People were getting ripped off. The poor were getting ripped off. They were trying to buy their um, sacrifices to offer in the temple, and they had to exchange money for temple tax, and they were getting ripped off to trying to do it. 
So there would be the poor being prevented from worshipping God. There was injustice. Jesus is angry at injustice. Is that what we get angry about? Jesus doesn't get angry out of a place of bitterness, out of a place of unforgiveness, out of a place of anxiety or stress, which are the reasons we tend to get angry. He gets angry from a place of loving God, loving the people, and wanting them to know God, and then being stopped from doing so. That's what gets Jesus angry. Do we get angry about that? Jesus isn't afraid to show his vulnerability too. It says in the Bible, three times Jesus cried, wept publicly. Famous time where, when Lazarus, his friend, has died. And even though Jesus on it is there and knows he's going to raise him from the dead, seeing Mary, Lazarus's sister, weeping and the family and the friends, everybody, seeing their grief, seeing their upset moves him to weep as well. It says, when Jesus saw her, that's Mary, weeping, and the Jews that had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Jesus was deeply moved and wept for the suffering of other people. When we're suffering, we can take comfort that Jesus knows, understands, and really cares and is crying with you. But also, a challenge to us, when we have friends that are suffering, that are weeping, are we there weeping with them? Are we feeling their upset as much as them? Are we getting alongside them? When was the last time you cried alongside a friend? Or does our apathy mean that we say along with the world, oh, that's not my problem? Obviously, this is challenging for me as well, obviously. Then we see Jesus weeping. He comes closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead. He began to weep. How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. But now it's too late and the peace is hidden from your eyes. Jesus weeps when he sees Jerusalem because he knows the consequences of sin and he knows what's going to happen to that city. Jesus gets upset and visibly upset and vulnerably upset out of the sympathy for other people that he loves and also the consequences of sin and how it can ravage people's lives. That's what gets Jesus upset. He's not afraid to show vulnerability and he's not afraid to ask for help when he himself, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he knew the next day he was going to be handed over to be tortured. You know, he sweated drops of blood. He was so stressed and wrestling with God to obey God in that moment. But he didn't, he wasn't afraid to ask for help. He said to his friends, stay with me. Stay here and watch with me. 
So when we're in that place of feeling utterly desperate, don't be afraid to ask for help. Jesus wasn't afraid to ask for help. The Son of God wasn't afraid to ask for help. So, the Bible shows us that Jesus, the man, felt the full force of human emotions. He was fully alive. Let's not let apathy dull down our emotions, but let us feel the things that Jesus felt and the reasons why he felt those things. And in doing so, we can become more like Jesus. When we look at what upset Jesus, when we look at what made him angry, when we look at what, where he gets his joy from, all of those different things, if we start to put that into practice for our own selves, then we will become more like Jesus, which is kind of the whole point of this sermon series, that we will know Jesus better and that we'll become more like Jesus. So let's be full of joy from knowing and obeying God. Let us live an exciting life where we take risks, where we pray for healings, where we are developing and discipling the people around us. Let us get angry at injustice and racism and all the things that are wrong in this world so that we're moved to do something about it and we don't just say, oh, somebody else's problem. Let us have compassion for the needs spiritual and physical that we see around us. Let us be moved with compassion and not afraid of that. Let us get upset and weep with the people that are weeping. Yeah. I had an experience of that in Food Bank the other day. There's a really lovely lady who started, um, who came into Food Bank. And I think I had a week where I had about five women tell me about their domestic violence. You just like, just as I was talking to her, I just started to cry because I was just a little bit like, sorry. But, you know, just, just thinking about why, why, why would anyone do that to someone? The person they're supposed to love and the person they're supposed to trust. You know, being chained to a bed and beaten for five hours. It's just like, why? You know, it, it just moves Hearing that stuff should move us to compassion, move us to act, move us to do something. However many times we hear things. So let's live a life of emotional freedom that Jesus lived and our emotions to reflect the values and the kingdom of God in all that we do. So we might know and love Jesus better. Thank you very much.